Our scripture reading comes from the book of Ephesians. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you receive from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with peace that ties you together. You are one body and one spirit, spirit, just as God has also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the Lord of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully, fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from him, and it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Hello. Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Bowman, one of the pastors here at Asbury United Methodist Church. And like we said a little bit earlier, but I want to repeat it. Uh, welcome to those of you online with us. Welcome to those of you who are in the room. We are so happy to be worshiping with each of you this morning. Uh, before we get into the sermon, I do want to bring up that this Friday uh, was Veterans Day. So we got out of school, which is really nice. Um, it was also my son's birthday, uh, which was also great. But I wanted to say, because I know there are plenty of members in this church, or even some of our first-time guests today, like my own dad, who are veterans and have served um, this country, we want to say thank you, but also uh, wanted to say a happy belated Veterans Day to those of you as well. So, absolutely. A few years ago, uh, I came across this modern-day parable, as in it was written about 10 years ago, uh, entitled, Being the Resurrection. Being the Resurrection. I wanted to share it with all of you today, but to do that, for the sake of time, I'm going to give us the paraphrase version. We ready? So the story goes like this. Late in the evening, a group of unknown disciples packed their things and left for a distant shore, for they could not stay any longer in the place where their Messiah had just been crucified. Heavy with sadness, they left never to return. They traveled far away and they came across an isolated area, perfect for setting up a new community. The land was great. Uh, there was clean water, a forest, everything they needed to start fresh. So they settled there and they vowed to keep the memory of Christ alive and also to live in simplicity love and forgiveness just as he had taught them. So for over a hundred years, this community lived in isolation, 
reflecting on the life of Jesus and attempting to remain faithful to his ways while carrying within them a deep sorrow in their hearts. But one morning, some missionaries stumbled across their community. Shocked that this community did not know about the resurrection, the missionaries shared with them the good news that Jesus is risen. Guess what? He's alive. As evening comes, uh, the community throws this huge party celebrating the news that was brought to them by these missionaries. But one of the younger missionaries noticed that at this party, the leader of that community was nowhere to be found. So he goes and looks for him. Looking for this respected elder, the young missionary finds him sitting in a small hut on the edge of the village, weeping and crying. Why are you in such sorrow? Asked the missionary. Today is a time for great celebration. It may indeed be a day for great celebration, but this is also a day of sorrow replied the elder. Since the founding of this community, we have followed the ways taught to us by Christ. We pursued his ways faithfully, even though it cost us dearly. We remained faithful. We remained resolute despite the belief that death had defeated him and one day would defeat us also. The elder slowly stood up and looked at the young missionary in the eyes with deep compassion. Each day we have forsaken our lives for him because we judged him wholly worthy of the sacrifice, wholly worthy of our entire being. But now following your news, I'm concerned that my children and my children's children may follow him, not because of his radical life and supreme sacrifice, but selfishly, because his sacrifice will ensure their personal salvation and eternal life. With this, the elder turned away and left the hut, making his way to the party, heard off in the distance, leaving the young missionary sitting in the hut. What does it mean to be a saint? I think we commonly think of saints as something Catholic, right? Something Roman Catholic, or maybe like Robert Mercer over here does, thinks of that football team down in New Orleans. And I want to start right there, not, not with the football team, Robert, but with the Catholic Church. See, according to Roman Catholic tradition, a saint is one who has been formally canonized. That is to say that this is a person who has been declared a saint by the overarching Roman Catholic Church. These folks are, to quote the Roman Catholics, graced by God, and they've demonstrated in their life a high level of holiness. Uh, All of the prophets throughout the Old Testament, for example, are all saints, as well as some folks you might have heard of, like St. Teresa or St. Francis of Assisi, St. Christopher, uh, St. Benedict, St. Patrick of Ireland, but the list goes on. Of course, in the New Testament, we got Mary, the mother of Jesus, St. Mary, we got St. Michael, the archangel, St. Peter, St. Paul, the list goes on and on and on. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church actually supports turning to these saints to intercede on their behalf, So whatever your need may 
may be, whether it's with children, child rearing, uh, I don't know, sports. There's even a saint for, like you can pray to for your sports team. All this is, these are all practices within the Roman Catholic Church where you can turn to a saint and pray to them. Now, it should also be noted that other Christian traditions uphold saints as well. But most traditions do not venerate particular saints as the Roman Catholics do. Now, I'm not knocking on the Catholic tradition at all. Because in fact, I think that the Catholics have some of this figured out. I think they understand something that we don't. In fact, that I think we as Protestants are missing. However, all that to say, this, this isn't really it. Um, in fact, though I don't think the Roman Catholics have it all figured out, I do think and would make the argument that we need more saints today. To explain what I mean, uh, the New Testament commonly refers to followers of Jesus as saints. Think of the beginning of any of the Apostle Paul's letters. To the saints who are in Rome, or the passage we read, Will read for us a moment ago, to the saints who are in Ephesus, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. But he doesn't just begin his letters like this, he continues to call followers of Jesus saints within them. Romans 16, he instructs the church to receive people in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. He describes believers and followers of Jesus as those who are called to be saints. He calls the church to contribute to the needs of the, you probably guessed it, saints and to practice hospitality, to greet every saint in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ. He even goes as far to say that when Jesus comes back, he comes back to be glorified in his saints on that day. But it's not just Paul. We actually see this word come up in Matthew's gospel in one of the weirder scenes of the Bible that I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on. Jesus cries out one last time from the cross. He dies there. And then we're told that the curtain of the temple is torn from top to bottom, torn in two. The earth shakes. The rocks are splitting all around. Tombs were opened. And I quote from Matthew's gospel, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And after his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city, a.k.a. Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Why haven't we preached on that yet, Robert? We should talk about this passage sometime. So then are saints majestic followers of Jesus who come back to life? And are then in possession of the everlasting kingdom of God? Well, in a word, yeah, exactly. The Greek word that we translate in our English text today for saints is the word hagios. Can you say hagios? Good, I know that you're still listening, good. Hagios comes from the root word hagos. Just take the English I out of there. Hagos literally means pure, sacred, clean, venerable. But hagios, where we get the term saint, can also be translated a most holy thing. If you were to look up in the New Testament how the Greek term hagios is used, you would find it being translated as describing someone as a saint around 61 times. 
Uh, it's also used to describe something or someone as holy 161 times, or to describe Jesus as the Holy One of God at least five times. So a saint, according to our scriptures anyway, is someone who is holy and pure and clean and is also following after Jesus. But even as I say that out loud, a saint is one who is holy, pure, and clean. There's a part of me that just kind of cringes a little bit because it sounds so religious. But more than that, it sounds unattainable. He's, Paul is writing to common people, the churches of Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, Rome, and he's saying, you are saints, but here we are, we find that a saint is someone who is holy, pure, clean. This sounds unattainable. It sounds not human, even. It sounds not real, or maybe, and this is okay, maybe I'm the only person who feels that way. I think, and this is just Michael's defini definition here, but in more common language, the term hagios could be translated as different. A saint is one who is different. And I'd actually like to add another word to that definition. A saint isn't just different, but a saint is one who is fully alive. One priest and author writes, saints are those who wake up while in this world instead of waiting for the next one. Saints are those who wake up while in this world instead of waiting for the next one. Can that be said of me? Awake and alive in this world, not sitting around and waiting for the next one. It's not an exaggeration to say that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead changes everything. In a very real sense, the resurrection is at its core something that is lived. See, we testify to and we reveal the reality of the resurrection through the way in which we live our lives. If you remember from the parable I told just a second ago, the fear of the elder was that the resurrection, this news of the resurrection, would spark within his community their own selfishness, that the focus would shift from living as the body of Christ, living out the way of Jesus, into sitting back on their hands and waiting for heaven to come because their salvation has now been guaranteed. It is unfortunately all too common in the church today to find individuals who believe in Jesus for their own self-interest to get to heaven. Or because, at least in America, like to be a Christian means you might actually get in the in crowd at your company and maybe climb the ladder. Or you can get into that neighborhood because you know the community likes Christians here. Christian has a positive connotation here. It's not true in every part of the world. But it's all too common in our church today to find individuals who believe in Jesus for their own self-interest. See, claiming Christ or having a belief in Jesus is not so much a statement of faith as it is a way of living. You know, your, we talk about testimonies a lot in the church. Your greatest testimony is not the things that you can say or the Bible verses you can rattle off. Your greatest testimony is your life. It's the way that you live. 
It's the way that you actually follow Jesus. It's the way that you care for others and show up and pick up the phone or call that person or write that letter. Your greatest testimony is the way in which you live. As one author points out, the affirmation Jesus is Lord is not some disembodied intellectual claim. It is an incarnated affirmation declared in the life of those who pour themselves out for the poor, the oppressed, and the enemy. Our lives, track with me here, our lives are meant to be locations of resurrection taking place. Our lives are meant to be locations where the very presence of Christ is at work in being revealed in word and deed. It's one thing to say that Jesus is Lord, but it's a totally different thing to actually live that way. So Paul, if you noticed when Will was reading earlier, he's actually, I think the word in the CEB is encourages, but a better definition of that term being used is he's begging his readers in Ephesus, begging them, pleading with them to lead a life worthy of the calling, he says, to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is a plead for followers of Jesus to actually practice what they preach, to practice the resurrection, to stop talking about an event that happened long ago, but instead to live as if it really did. He writes, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and in all and through all and in all. Yes. Can you uh, pick out the word that was used there a lot? It's a simple one. It's three letters. Did you catch, catch it? One. Or all, yeah. I changed my mind. Two words that are used a lot. Thank you. This is why we need each other. <laughs> One and all. A saint is awake to the reality that in Jesus there is, as I have said to you before, only ever us. With Jesus, there's no such thing as them. There's only ever us. In the words of the iconic Disney Channel original movie, High School Musical, we're all in this together. Thank you for laughing because I cannot believe I just quoted High School Musical in a sermon, but here we are. One body, Paul says, not a divided one, not a fragmented one, a whole body, one body, one Lord, Jesus, one faith, one baptism, or as in our ancient creed, the Apostle Creed affirms, and the church has affirmed this for centuries There is one body of Christ. We refer to it in the creed as the communion of the saints. When we become a Christian, we are included in the circle of Jesus' followers. We are baptized into the faith as Jesus and all of his followers had been. We take our seat at Christ's table, sharing in the same meal that Jesus shared with his own followers. We model our lives after the way of Jesus, being good apprentices in his way and becoming more like Christ in the process. See, in these ways, we are communing with him. And by the very definition of the word communion, we are sharing our lives with him. The most intimate parts of who we are, our thoughts, our ideas, our hurts, the good and the bad, our feelings, every bit of ourselves with Jesus. And this is done, maybe most profoundly, alongside other followers of the way. 
alongside other believers, other saints, alongside what we call the one body of Christ. You probably already know this, but Jesus actually tells us that where two or more are gathered, he's present. We commune with Christ in the quiet moments of our personal lives and as we gather near to others who believe. Jesus is always present amongst his friends. So as we join together with other believers, like, by the way, you are doing right now, we find that as his hands and feet, we are better able to live out the life that he has given us to live. We are better able to mirror Christ's image, his light and his love to others in a world that has forgotten who it is. In a world that is growing darker and in a world that is severely lacking true and lasting love. We need more saints. We need more apprentices of Jesus living out the reality of the resurrection in ordinary, daily, and practical ways. We need saints who share meals together, who open their homes, who call and check in on people, who listen to each other, who move closer instead of push away, who fight for unity rather than division, who encourage one another, or as the Apostle Paul might say, who speak the truth in love. Actually, from our passage today, we find the Apostle Paul begging and pleading with these believers to grow up. Have you ever wanted to say that to somebody before? Just grow up already. Paul is saying, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by every ligament with which it is equipped. As each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. We need more saints. We need a people who are permeated with love. A little further into this letter to the Ephesians, Paul would write, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, for Christ will shine on you. Remember the definition I shared with you earlier of what a saint is. A saint is one who is awake, who has woken up in this world here and now, not just waiting for the next one. May we wake up. What would it look like? What would it look like if we were a people who followed head first in the ways taught to us by Jesus? What would it look like if we pursued his ways faithfully, no matter what the cost? What would it look like if we didn't, and and seriously, hear me on this, what would it look like if we didn't aim for heaven, but if we changed our aim, and instead our aim was to the marginalized, to the hurting, to the sick, to the broken, to the neighbor, to, I mean, God help us, to the enemy, to the poor, to the oppressed, to the outcast, to the orphan, to the widow, to the refugee, to the neglected. What if we changed our aim? What would it look like if, like as Paul says, what would it look like to live a life worthy of our calling? Worthy of the calling, wholly worthy of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We need more saints. And what if that's you and me? What if we were the saints? I want to invite the uh, band to come on up. And as they do, I want you to stay with me for a second. Hold that thought. What if you were the saint that is needed? What if that's us?
By the way, I think it is. And isn't that good news? Like you and me, I don't know about you, but I think about myself sometimes. I'm like, I was entrusted with this. I was entrusted to help make the kingdom of God more visible here on earth. What if I make a mess of it? You might. We can laugh at that. You might. You probably have. I have too. But what if we took this calling? What if we actually lived like the resurrection happened? Some of us are doing that already. Some of us are struggling with it. Some of us don't know how. That's okay. You're here. You're starting. You're doing it. You're doing it together, just like you were meant to. So we're going we're gonna to keep singing, right? I didn't make that up. We are going to keep singing. A song of response. So here's the invitation. Um, where are ushers who are passing out the uh, baskets? If you want to go ahead and get into place, during this last song, we do pass our tithes and offerings. And we, we, we trust and pray that God will use that to further his kingdom, to make his kingdom more visible through this church, through our offerings. This is an act of worship, by the way. But as the basket comes by and, you, and the song begins and the band begins to lead us in worship, I want to invite you to, to do what you need to do. It feels maybe a little unattainable still to be called a saint. It feels a little bit out there, not very human, not very real, really pure and holy. But guess what? That's who you are. It's who you are in Christ. That's the only reason we can make that claim. So respond. You can give, you can sing. If you want to sit and listen and be still, please do that. If you need to stand up and pray with someone, Robert's not on duty, but he's here. (laughs) Everybody flock to Robert. But I'm here. You have one another. Trust each other. Pray for one another. If you want to hug somebody, if you need to cry, we got kneelers to the side. You can kneel at those too to take a second. But do what you need to do and respond how the Spirit is moving. I'm going to pray and then we'll stand and sing. So let's pray. Almighty God, I know for me, and maybe this is just a confession, but the whole idea of being a saint doesn't seem like I'm worthy of the calling. But I read in your text, and we read it this morning, that we're being begged, encouraged, pleaded with to live a life worthy of such a calling, that you, Jesus, came and, of course, said some pretty incredible things, did some pretty incredible things, but then you also were crucified, And our hopes looked like they were crushed. It was all over. But the good news is we don't live with a memory of you. We live in the reality that you are risen. You have come back to life. As I've heard one pastor say, your resurrection means that you're on the loose and you're looking for us. So God, we're here. We're open We want to receive you. At times we feel lacking and broken and hurt or like we just could never measure up, but that's not the truth. You loved us before you made us. You loved us so much that you came to us. You loved us so much that you did defeat death. And you love us so much that you're coming back again to set all things right. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. 
And we ask that through this time and through our entire lives, God, that we would live a life worthy of the calling, live as if the resurrection actually happened because it did. Oh, and how might this world be changed? How might our families be changed? How might our communities be changed if we lived like that? So help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.